0: Welcome back to the Accord Research Alliance podcast, which is the podcast of the Accord Research Alliance, and I'm one of your co-hosts, Nathan Maloney, and uh, I'm excited today. It is just over a week away from getting to hang out with many of you in beautiful Asheville, North Carolina at Accord's annual forum, and we get a whole day on September 30th to be together as an alliance. And talk about research, and so it's a great day, Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that, and today we're actually releasing another podcast in our series uh, where we're promoting the upcoming Research and Spiritual Metrics Intensive by sharing some of the sessions from last year, and so today we're going to be hearing from Dr. Laura Shannon House, who presented and you might remember her if you've been listening to the podcast, uh, even if you weren't at the intensive last year, because uh, our co host Kristen Check actually interviewed her and did a two part series talking about uh, the work that she's a part of. Um, and then she came to the intensive and, and uh, presented uh, a really uh, was a jam packed presentation with a ton of great information looking at some actual spiritual metrics that are being used in two different studies that she's been a part of. So I think you'll enjoy it. And if you think that this podcast would have been better with PowerPoint slides, you're exactly right. So if this is the kind of content that you're interested in and you know want to be able to interact with the content and the speakers and others who are working on similar studies, that's Another great reason uh, to try and make it to North Carolina here in a few days. So uh, just a couple more details on that before we get into the presentation. Uh, First of all, it's not too late to register. In fact, I don't think it's technically ever too late to register uh, for it, but registering does help us make sure we have lunch for you uh, when you come. So that's always good to do. Uh, But this year's theme, if you haven't seen it yet, is called Measuring What's Difficult, How to Measure All That Matters in Christ-Centered Relief, Development, and Advocacy. And so we have two keynote presentations, one from Michael Wilcock from the World Bank. Uh, He'll be talking about some of his journey at the World Bank in terms of uh, moving things forward with measuring uh, non-economic or even non-material indicators such as social capital. So that will be a really good uh, and engaging presentation for us. And then that that will be followed by Olivia Wilkinson from the Joint Learning Initiative on Faith and Local Communities. And she's following up on a webinar that she did for us uh, back in July. And uh, a lot of great content from her as well. And then in the afternoon, we'll be hearing from James Waters from IDO research. Who's working on a a really interesting project with several organizations, part of this network, including living water, uh, which I'm part of and it's called the kingdom impact framework. So he'll be talking more uh, about that and we'll have some time to uh, work together on that actually, and and give feedback into this project that I think is going to benefit uh, the entire Alliance And then we'll wrap up the day with the case study from uh, two of the research team members from Compassion. So all of that, plus uh, there's just a lot of great networking, uh, meeting new people. I guarantee that if you come, you will walk away with uh, not only new ideas uh, for your work, but also uh, some new contacts of people that you can stay in touch with throughout the year uh, that can help you uh, in whatever you're trying to do at your job. So I hope you enjoy the podcast and hope to see you soon in North Carolina.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And um, I've learned a ton from folks in this network and just hope to have something to offer you. And I was thinking about the topic of spiritual metrics and how um, if I presented kind of a couple of examples it might help kind of flesh out what I'm talking about in terms of these kind of surveys or these inventories um, that measure these spiritual um, variables so two examples I want to talk about or two studies I've uh, headed up uh, one is uh, humility, humanitarian aid leadership, and particularly looking at cultural humility, and then Botswana drought survivors, which is a chronic or ongoing disaster, and lots of folks end up working in contexts in which uh, the disaster is ongoing. Uh, so we used a variety of spiritual metrics. And then after I give you both these examples, I'm just going to give you a list of spiritual metrics and show you kind of some items of those inventories and i have a couple of strengths and weaknesses to talk about so depending on how much time we have i'm happy to continue to dialogue with you after this session is over about those as well um, and so in terms of the humanitarian oh i just did this one so um, humility uh, is kind of operationalized by these three factors uh, to have an accurate view of yourself so not too high not too low So too high might be kind of perceived as a little bit arrogant, too low, we tend to self-monitor and perseverate on ourselves. Both of those are a little bit self-focused. So Ev Worthington talks about this first factor really being freedom from having to think about yourself at all. Uh, Open and teachable is the second factor of humility and willing to give away credit or be able to not need the credit to be able to give that away to other people. Um, So um, there's a couple of scholars who argue that if you have these factors of humility then you have an other oriented stance. You're more present and available to be able to be who you need to be for others. And what is fascinating to our research team is that in organizational context, um, we've found that these factors in leaders tend to rub off on members that they're supervising. So it's really fascinating that members start to give away credit, members start to be more open and teachable, and they start to have like, a new, more accurate view of themselves. So that's why we're curious about this in humanitarian aid because the theistic notion of humility um, isn't really discussed in the literature. So one thing we're hoping to learn is how that shapes uh, the field of humanitarian aid. Um, and so, uh-oh. I got it. I'm a problem solver. Uh huh. There we go. So our research question: What are the behaviors, benefits, and barriers of humility in humanitarian aid? Um, and so uh, we we got attributes and behaviors, outcomes of humility, and also challenges or barriers for how it's actuated. We used a mixed methods design. We gave a cultural humility scale um, to both leaders and workers. Um, in terms of our procedure, we solicited exemplar humanitarian reviewers from this network who were peer nominated. Um, and then we randomly assigned, a selected one worker with whom they supervise um, to also give an uh, interview and take quantitative measures. And these are kind of some of the instruments we use a Bi-Factor Wellness Inventory that might be an inventory you're interested in. It's a really uh, interesting measure that really has spirituality at the center. Uh, It's a strong measure, Um, and we use consensual qualitative research to um, analyze our data.
0: In terms of characteristics, first and
1: foremost, we found for folks in this network, faith focus was a really important characteristic of how they operate as a leader. Also reported um, a variety of virtues that they're self-aware, open, interdependent, or inter-reliant with um, the individuals in the community with which they're serving, that there's not just a need to be of service or work on behalf of or work for, but that there is an interdependence and reliance and critical need um, to get from the partners. This should focus, perspective, and an accurate view of yourself. And here are a couple of quotes. In terms of the faith focus, this is one that stood out to me. Losing control, your God or me? I actually keep putting Him back in control, and that means I know He'll do a better job. I think that it's the humility factor. It's surrendering control, but not relinquishing responsibility. So I'm surrendering control for a reason, and I'm going to do my very best job, even if I fail. Virtuous, um, I could throw back a bag of food off the truck for a woman who's been queued up for eight hours in the hot sun with bookings and to nearly break her shoulder with a 25 pound bag of food. Have I relieved her suffering? Yes. Have I given her dignity? No. Part of being humble as you observe Jesus and his humility is when he did something for people, he did it in such a way that they weren't de- demeaned in the process. There's multiple virtuous characteristics. I'm I'm doing a big sweep here, so it's much more than this. just an example. Mission focus. When asked by a refugee, a recipient of the services, why are you doing this? I Meaning, why are you giving aid to us? Um, the leader said we work for a refugee. He was just like you. The leader of his tribe wanted him to, his family had to take him to a different country. When he returned home, he couldn't even return home to the same city. That's who we work for by serving you and also serving him. Perspective humility is looking at things not just the goal you want, not just the outcome metric you're after, but also looking after our employees, families, supporters, and communities. Um, and then, in terms of behaviors, um, so in addition to characteristics of humility, we also have these behaviors such as communication, responsiveness, collaboration, availability, presence, being other focused, acknowledging mistakes, and giving more credit. Um, in terms of benefits, we saw benefits across all, all the domains, really. We saw them across benefiting a leader benefiting the employees and the local leaders in the country benefiting the entire humanitarian organization and also benefiting in the long-term sustainability in terms of clients and beneficiaries so here's some examples of benefits humility changes the way we look at those we serve food and water is transactional with humility it somehow becomes sacred humble leaders know the culture as soon as uh, For instance, an unhumble leader disappeared, so did their staff, and so did the project benefit. They weren't empowered people, it was a colonialist type situation. In terms of barriers, there were both individual and systemic barriers. So individual barriers might be on the part of the leader, might, might, for all human, might have a pride or arrogance come out, uh, might feel overburdened, uh, might have to manage employees that have challenges of their own, or they might lack openness to learning. And systemic barriers were identified as a nature of humanitarian aid work. So for instance, um, in terms of the work, like what I'm reminded in a moment of someone saying that sometimes you have to kind of jump and try and respond even before the funding is there and then hope the funding comes. So there's a nature of, of the work that can kind of be a barrier to humility. The donor relationship and having to prove to the donor marketing and fundraising these are all things i'm sure you know so here's the example we can send a lot more containers off the back of the truck or i can give our supplies to local leaders but put them to go to the refugees homes to their tents sit with them hand those supplies to them in a culturally respective way drink their tea ask where did you come from listen to their stories now in that distribution i might only get four or five families before i'm done but when when we honor them as human beings, their dignity is back, and they feel in their heart that these people have truly loved and respected me. So, does it slow us down? Absolutely. Us slowing down is the work. So, um, in terms of metrics, what does this mean? How we? So, I think it's interesting uh, the quantitative findings from some of this. I've kind of shared some of the qualitative research. So, the positive. Uh, Humility has a positive and negative subscale. Positive subscale is that you're respectful, open to seeing things from other people's perspectives, what I've been kind of talking about so far. And also there's a negative subscale, which means acts superior, makes assumptions. The self-reported humility, the leaders self-reported on their own humility, had okay internal consistency, like 0.68 was okay. Um, in terms of the negative subscale, um it didn't correlate at all 0.03 so this is really fascinating to me that those negative attributes act superior makes assumptions were not at all um, marked at consistently from the workers report on their leaders humility so um, it's interesting that that i think some of these spiritual metrics may not be perfectly applicable Um, to the humanitarian aid world, and I think the negative subscale of the cultural humility measure is one of those metrics. Um, So the leaders did for sure do a great job and were indicative of exemplar leaders. Um, However, they weren't perfect because there was a a trend towards higher self-report scores, so the leaders did think they
0: were a little
1: more humble than the workers thought they were. (laughs) So what does this mean? Um, I was really touched by the study. I can't tell you how much it made me reflect on my own humility and how I work with my doctoral students and what it did for my graduate research assistant, Mary James Mines, and how many conversations we have. So it was a blessing to even get to talk about this. And one storyline that we really want to talk a lot about is this theistic dimension of humility that hasn't been before captured in the literature. Participants often said things like they wished to walk humbly with God. That they wanted to incorporate transcendence into their work. They wanted the work to be relational and not transactional. So there was this new dimension of humility, um, primarily the humility before God, which gets infused into other relationships. Your relationship with God and what you learn there gets infused into how you work with others. So people were anchored or confident in who they are, which led to a diminished need for recognition as a source of self-worth. Consistently across cases, self-worth was derived from Christ. Finding your identity in Christ through one's relationship with God allows one to let go of one's other ways of propping up one's identity. Humility was noted repeatedly as a pathway for not being overwhelmed by the work. So we had this hypothesis that it might prevent burnout, but it was very, very uh, rich in how it did that. Uh, so working in the nonprofit sector takes a lot on. Um, there's a lot of funds, a lot to the work, and the work can be intense. And humility seems to help us navigate the difference between the ideal and reality. I remember one leader, that I had the privilege of connecting with talked about um, a, a climate in which people were dying and her feeling that she needed to work all night, not getting any sleep, to continue to do the work because people may die or perish if she wasn't able to do the aid work that she was doing. So humility, as her as we continued an in the interview, there's quite a sophistication of which she spoke about how humility kind of allowed her to be more in touch with reality without having to distort um, one's need for self- affirmation or need for this output. It was more that she was able to turn over this responsibility to God that that God was the one that was doing this incredible work and she was a piece of the body or a piece of the whole working towards that. So it kind of brought an ideal into a more realistic notion of what her role was and that she was a part of something that was larger than herself. So there's distinct pathways. Uh, Lack of humility resulted in being disempowered abused, resentful losing heart Um, with humility they noticed um, more purpose in their work leaders own work they noticed an increased buy-in and increased quality from those they supervise and from local leaders they partner with along with the work being relational as opposed to transactional and also sustainable so I'm gonna hustle up here because I've got like three minutes left or so Uh, So in terms of spiritual metrics, here's a whole bunch that we use in uh, Botswana study. We're looking at drought um, and disaster-related resource loss might be a common metric that you would want to use um, if you're in disaster-impacted populations. So disaster-related resource loss. um, When you have more resource loss, you have more negative psychological symptoms like anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder. When we put in positive religious coping or meaning-focused coping, we see the relationship completely buffered in positive religious coping, which is a really powerful thing. And so I highly recommend the positive or the brief r as a measure. Um, and then when we see meaning-focused coping, the absence of meaning in your life, the absence maybe of your spiritual presence or absence of that, Actually changes the pathway and exacerbates negative psychological symptoms. This is what that looks like in terms of the buffering effect and the uh, mediating effect. I could talk about this for a long time. Uh, it was, it's a I'm happy to share the manuscripts of both of these studies if you're interested. Um, in terms of the metrics, I was thinking you probably have organizational questions for organizational improvement, outcomes, so that you can make a case for. Uh, future funding and for more resources for your aid group, and also in trait versus state, which is a topic I could have a course on. So, like, if you want to talk about trait measures versus state measures, I'm happy to talk to you about it. One scale that our team has recently developed, uh, Daryl van took lead on that, is spiritual fortitude, which I can share that measure with you as well as another metric. So here's secular, some secular constructs that might be good to include. Um, So disaster, mental health, degree of adversity. So the resource law scale, collecting trauma history, and therapeutic bond. And then outcomes like anxiety, depression, PTSD, and then coping. Um, And then the religious and spiritual coping measure is something I really find to be a, a really great measure. And so these are some of the items on that. So positive religious coping looked for a stronger connection with God, sought God's love and care, sought help from God in letting go of my anger. So being able to um, positively cope with adversity by connecting back with your faith community, having internalized prayer, things like that, and negative coping, withdrawing uh, from your religious community, seeing God as more authoritarian or benevolent, and wondering whether God has abandoned you. Um, and then here's spiritual metrics. So the AB God scale. So, this is another metric that might be useful. Are people you're working with viewing God as authoritarian or benevolent that might help you think about their needs? Um, the religious commitment inventory, the views of suffering scale. We, we're moving into creating right now the sacred qualities of suffering scale. That's a measure we're developing. And then there's well being. So, I, I heard that there was a well being scale mentioned earlier in the presentation just before that. Um, Post-traumatic growth is one that has controversy right now, so I'm happy to talk about the strengths and limitations of that measure. Um, The presence and search for meaning might be another measure that you're interested in using. Gratitude, spiritual fortitude, which is now published, and the Hope Scale are some spiritual metrics that you might be interested in. Here's the AB God Scale. Are you viewing God as benevolent or authoritarian? Religious commitment inventory. I often read books and magazines about my faith, so this might be a measure, if you're not familiar with it already, that you use. Um, and then the views of suffering. Um, one example item is uh, God can prevent evil and or suffering from happening, but God uh, chooses to because God isn't entirely good at So views of suffering, how people are viewing suffering is another metric. Meaning in life, uh, meaning search and meaning presence are the two subscales of meaning in life. This is Crystal Park's work and there's meaning-making models, which I can talk to you about that. So if you're interested in meaning, how meaning is made, I'm happy to di- dialogue with you. Gratitude and hope and spiritual fortitude,
0: which has three
1: subscales, spiritual endurance, spiritual enterprise, and redemptive purpose. And this is really about long suffering and how people metabolize suffering. And that's our information, and I'm going to move out. Let's give Laura a round of applause. So you all okay. got all that, right?
0: There's no need to follow up.